hear more than pro and anti-abortion protests on this podcast. Someone told her if she would drink turpentine, she could kill the baby and she wanted to kill the baby. You'll meet an anti-abortion doctor who does a lot more than yell. I've never heard of adoption going so fast. Welcome to What Now, the post-COVID church podcast. The purpose, creating not just conversations, but stories geared towards energizing Christians to engage the lost and hurting in your community. Here is your host, Stuart Kellogg, author of The Post-COVID Church. Hello, and thank you for listening. The reality of America's pro-choice culture was conveniently papered over, ironically, by the Roe decision in 1973. As long as abortion was legal, the pro-life movement had an enemy to fight against. But it's a question before voters in Kansas getting the most attention nationwide right now. ABC News now projecting that by a wide margin, voters in that rather conservative state have decided to protect abortion rights, voting no. Now that the decision is in the hands of state voters, the easy political lines about overturning Roe and cheers when it happened have revealed the real truth. Two out of three Americans favor abortion, so the pro-life position is a political loser. can't weaponize religion against me. You know, I don't care what they say. I really don't. I'm here to protect my people. Hold your head up. Hold your head up. You're not doing anything wrong. Not a moral loser, of course, but a political one. Since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in 2022, Pro-abortion groups have won all seven state ballot measures. We are still free. You are the child of the devil, and the devil does nothing but lie. It's not a baby till it's born, Arlene. Your body, you do what you want, you do what you need. What is clear is the culture of me, in this case the woman's body, takes precedence over the culture of the most helpless, the unborn. While I'm progressive, I've got plenty of Mississippi redneck in me. So when I see these clowns attacking women, it's just very difficult for me to just sit by and, and watch that. Come on, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Don't kill your baby. Don't murder an innocent child. This was the daily sight outside the now closed Jackson, Mississippi abortion clinic. Tonight, we travel to the last abortion clinic in Mississippi. As the only abortion clinic in Mississippi for years, it was regularly featured on the national news, in this case, ABC's Nightline. The protesters believe God stands with them, and they are determined to be heard. But you won't find any apologies here from the people who run the clinic. This bubblegum pink building stands loud and proud, at least for now. While both sides were featured, the focus was on the clinic that would soon be closed. Jackson Women's Health, may I help you please? And the women who would not be allowed to have abortion. I'm in the ER and someone comes in suicidal and I stop them from killing themselves. Am I being abusive? What's that have to do with anything? It has to do with everything that we're talking about. Don't wonder about the health care system in Mississippi. This is the health care we receive in Mississippi. Satan and suicide. Someone is deceived. On this video from the Pink House Defenders, a group supporting the Mississippi Abortion Clinic when it was open, the woman is ridiculing Dr. Coleman Boyd, who for years regularly showed up to protest. It's abuse to try to stop that, but it's not abuse to try to stand in front of someone 
The pro-life passion came years after his conversion to Christ. We had a pro-life Sunday um, once a year, and we'd do, go out and do life chain and stuff like that. And, and then I went on back about faithful gospel ministry, but it just never hit me how serious it was. These innocent children are being taken to destruction. They're speechless. They have no voice for themselves. And uh, even, even their mother and father, um, who should be their loudest voice of protection, um, are not. And so, again, the Holy Spirit just convicted me, and I went to my wife, and I was like, we got to do something. He, his wife Robin, and the kids joined other protesters. And so we started going out there once a week, and we would go out for about an hour as a family, and there was no uh, circus out there. We just went out and shared the gospel on the sidewalk, and it was calm. We were able to offer help to the ladies and, and share the gospel with them. And then over the years, things escalated as they became, you know, had people out. You made reference to uh, sometimes when when the other side is being loud, you're you're known for getting on the bullhorn. Is that fair to say? And that is in contrast to others oh, who were more quiet. So talk about why you are, to use the term, more aggressive that way. Oh, absolutely. We believe that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We believe that the answer to abortion is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my mind, that means I elevate my voice to the extent that I'll be heard. Right now, there's no reason for me to have a bullhorn to have a conversation with you. We're on Zoom. We can have a conversation. If somebody was in the background there with you making loud noise, then I would get louder so that you could hear me. Um, and so we do that. And so we we set up amps and preach to where they can hear us in the abortion mill. The nice thing is when there's nobody there, you can raise your voice enough to speak to someone across the parking lot. But most of the time, you can just have conversations. And people are much more comfortable with that. That is that is by far the best way to be able to deal with people. Well, that's not always possible. In 2021, Dr. Boyd and 10 others were arrested in Tennessee, charged in federal court with blocking access to an abortion facility. Eight adults, four kids, were arrested and charged with trespassing after demonstrators protesting an abortion clinic refused to leave the Providence Medical Pavilion on Crossing Circle, if you're in that area. Well, actually, it, it was, it's an interesting thing. It, it actually was a very unaggressive uh, thing. Well, you know, for one, I would never call it a protest. We, we are ministers of the gospel, and we're there to preach the gospel. And Mount Julia police say it appears the group intended to be arrested. I was actually just down the hallway in a uh, public building and videoing and preaching. Um, there were some people that were down the hallway worshiping, singing hymns, and praying. But that's how aggressive it was. What makes Dr. Boyd stand out even more than the dozen years in prison he faces when the case goes to trial in early 2024 is what he and wife Robin did when this ER doctor came face to face with a potential abortion. One told her if she would drink turpentine, she could kill the baby and she wanted to kill the baby. And so she drank turpentine and praise the Lord, she failed. She did not kill the baby. She ended up in the emergency room. And um, I was not there that night, but they dealt with her, took care of her and whatnot. She came back a month later. Her baby boy, less than a year old, was sick. The nurse that triaged her said, you need to go make sure you get this patient because she she doesn't want her baby. And she knew that that was our heart to, to, to love on folks and, and care for children. Dr. Boyd met with her and took a bold step. He asked if he and his wife could adopt the baby. She tried to self-abort. And she said, okay. <laughs> it was just... Not any questions. Okay. 
And uh, so I, I got her phone number and said, okay, well, I'll call you. Um, and so she left and I called my wife afterwards and said, hey, we got a baby to adopt. She's like, praise the Lord. And I told her the story. Well, then for the next two weeks, I tried to get in touch with this girl and I couldn't get in touch with her. And so I was like, oh, well, she was just talking. Then Dr. Boyd and his wife were driving along when they saw the mother-to-be. With a fifth of champagne in her in her hand. We pulled up and said, what are you doing? You can't do this with the baby. You're going to hurt her. And she was like, no, no, this is to celebrate later, which, of course, wasn't true. So we, she was 37 weeks pregnant then. And so we got her into the OB the next day and said, this baby's got to come out. She's safer outside than inside. And, and so he did a C-section on her. He was already scheduled to do a C-section several weeks down the road. And we took her home. And she's been ours ever since. Um, at the time, we... Again, she was living in a very bad situation. She was out on the streets. And so her, her son was in really bad shape. And so we asked her at that time, let us adopt him. And she was like, no, 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 I, I'm keeping him. I said, okay, that's fine. We just want you to know we, we, we'll love on him, take care of him. Well, then uh, um, so Mariah was born in February. In September, she called me. And it literally, I hadn't talked to her at that time. She wanted nothing to do with Mariah when, when we had Mariah. Um, uh, so I had not talked to her in, I don't know how long, uh, months. And she called just out of the clear blue and said, come get my son. And I was like, do what? You know, she said that she was out on crack and running the crack row is what they called it in this town. And the police and bringing her son out there, bringing Obadiah out there. And the police had told her, if you, you we're going to take him from you if we see him out here again. So I said, do you want us to adopt him? She said, no. And, uh, so I was, I said, well, we can't get him temporarily. I don't think that's fair to him to bring him out of that scenario. Let's love on him and send him back. Robin agreed, and it was to be adoption or nothing for the toddler. Then God intervened. That whole week, all week as I fellowship with the Lord, I just felt like I kept hearing him say, I didn't call you to adopt. I called you to love and care for the fatherless. I mean, it was just clear in everything I was looking at, my fellowship with the Lord that week. Coleman finally shared the revelation with Robin. She said, that's exactly what the Lord's been showing me. So we're on our way out of town and we're going to come back in town for a little while Sunday and then leave again. And so we called her and said, well, we'll get him temporarily. We're going to be out of town for a little while, but then if you want him back after that, we'll bring him back whenever you want him back. And she said, okay. Along with their 10th child, a four-month-old, they went to pick up the toddler to take care of him for as long as the mother would allow. So we put him in the seat. He's screaming, and his mother, grandmother, and aunt are over there doting on our little four-month-old baby while he is in terror. And so we left, and I can remember crying going out the driveway, just telling Robin, we've got to cry out to God. I, I cannot imagine bringing him back here. And Because you know, we gave our word, and we were going to do it, but it was just, it, it crushed me. A few weeks later, the feared call came. And she called me on a Monday morning when I first got to work, said, bring me my baby. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm working a 24-hour shift. I'll have to bring him tomorrow morning. I can't bring him today. She said, okay. So immediately I text out to everybody praying a total of three times where she was going to get him. She actually came to our house one time. They were going to take him home that day. And um, she, the whole time she was at our house, he was terrified of her. It was an incredible story. I won't get into it because it's really long, but but um, she was taking him. While she was there, she was taking him. And when she got ready to leave, she said, you can keep him for longer, and she left. And it was just the Lord. In the process of all of that, she ended up agreeing to letting us adopt him after about four weeks. And uh, within two weeks, the adoption was final. So we had him for six weeks. And literally, I've never heard of adoption going so fast. 
and his adoption was final. The judicial system will determine if Dr. Boyd broke the law while he and his compatriots preached and protested in Tennessee. What is already determined is that Dr. Boyd and his wife Robin don't just talk about abortion. Already with 10 children, they adopted a child whose mother was going to abort her. And an older brother likely facing the same deadly fate not many years after birth. They became the hands and feet of Christ, showing all of us what it means to live the scriptures and giving Mariah and Obadiah the opportunity to live. Now, even if we can't take extraordinary steps such as adoption, perhaps this story will convict you to do something. It and the other stories I've done about the battle for life Soften my heart until I sense the Holy Spirit saying to me, What are you doing? I mumble to myself about the money my wife and I have given to pregnancy centers and my teaching, but I was interrupted again. What are you doing? I'll soon start work as a male advocate at a local pregnancy center, helping soon-to-be fathers come closer to Christ and not run from their responsibilities, while also materially helping the parents. The body of Christ can show even the most ardent pro-choice people faith in action. I'm Stuart Kellogg. Thank you for listening to What Now? the Post-COVID Church Podcast. Our hope is that some of the ideas you've heard will help your ministry engage the lost and hurting in your community. If you'd like a copy of Stewart's book, The Post-COVID Church, an action plan to thrive, not just survive, you can order the paperback or ebook version at amazon.com. Please like and subscribe on your podcast platform, and it will mean so much if you'd share the podcast.